Good morning. Welcome, and thank you again for being here, for giving us a chance to do the stuff that God has called us to do, and that is to lead people closer and closer to Him, help you become more fully devoted and fully equipped followers of Him. We're so thankful that you joined us this morning in our family gathering where we come to worship God and where we come to meet around His table, where we tell Him thank you uh, for the gifts He's given us and we invest in His kingdom through giving and where we look into His Word when we pray to him. All of these things are, are, are real. They're all real connections with God if we allow them to be. And they're all designed to change us as we go. That's one of the things that I think a lot of times we miss as Christians is we don't expect change, but that's how it works. That's how God does all relationships. We're starting a new series this morning called As Iron Sharpens Iron. And it's all about these healthy, life-shaping relationships. Sometimes uh, they're called transformational relationships, but the, the basic idea is just that you change. That's the way God, every single relationship God ever designed, whether it's marriage or authority to someone under authority or a disciple to someone they are following or parents and their children, whichever kind of relationships you see God designing, including our relationship with Him, there's an expectation of there's going to be some change happen. That's how it works. And we're going to explore that this, uh, over the next several weeks. The title comes from Proverbs 27, 17, which says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You might have seen this in an older translation and it, or, or, or maybe just used on men's, men's uh, groups, kind of posters. A lot of times it'll be translated as uh, so one man sharpens another. But really it's, it, it's not about gender at all. It's, that verse is about the kind of relationships that God likes. It's not man, it's mankind. You manity, if you will. It's, it's about all of us. And this morning, the story we're going to look at to see uh, awesome examples, several awesome examples of how God's relationships work is actually about a woman, one of my heroes in the Bible, named Ruth. Ruth is much more than a biblical rom-com, but that's how a lot of times we kind of see it. It's this romantic comedy set in Bible times, and what a cute little story between her and Boaz. And there is something about that in there. There is, there is a, a love story, I believe, in there. You can squint. You don't have to squint that hard, and you can see the, some genuine affection, some beauty in that. But this is much bigger than that. There are actually, in the story of Ruth, there are several life-shaping relationships. There are several different relationships going on, several different things where people are choosing the right thing and their lives are being changed. There are several what I call real love stories. And, and it's a kind of story that any romantic love should be able to fit into, but you can't always squeeze into something that you start with romantic love. I hope that makes sense. I don't have time to explain that this morning. But here's where we're going to start is Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. It's interesting because in the Bible, a lot of times the names actually end up matching up to what happens in their story. Um, uh, these are real stories. They're historically accurate. It actually happened, but it's amazing how this matches up. In the days when the judges ruled is the setting of this story. And if you read the book of Judges, almost every single story starts like this. In those days, Israel had no king. 
and everyone did as they saw fit. And yet here you've got the story starting with a man named Elimelech, and his name means, my God is king. I think that's kind of cool. And his wife's name is Naomi, and most of the story, except when she kind of backs herself out of that for a few moments, uh, most of the time she is pretty sweet and pleasant, and that's what her name means. I really like the meaning of Boaz's name. That's a strong man name right there. His name means strength is within him. But Ruth's name means friend. There's got to be some intention from God in all of that. Somehow, some way. I don't understand exactly how that works, but it's just too perfect. But there's some other people in this story as well. We don't get to see them very much. And I just, we, we don't have time to spend a lot of time on their story. The Bible story doesn't spend a lot of time on them, but I think it's important to notice this. Uh, one of them is named Orpah. Well, let me back up just a second. Here's what happened. Elimelech took his family to Moab, which they were actually the enemies of Israel. But to get away from this famine, he, he had a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. Who knows what I'm talking about? Awesome. Yeah. All five of you, good work. Okay. Um, but seriously, he was like, no, my family is not going to starve to death. If I have to go to an enemy camp, that's what I'll do. I'm going to make this happen. So he takes them over there. But pretty soon after they get there, he dies. Their sons grow up. They marry Moabite women. These are enemies of God, technically, at that point in history. And so they grow up. And then their names, by the way, Malon and Kilion, mean sick and dying respectively and that's exactly what happens to them they get sick and die and so uh, you have three widows one of whom is a foreigner the other two are living there and that's where the story really starts so here we go one of those widows is Ruth one of them is Naomi the other one is named Orpah and Orpah sometimes get a bad rap but I want to I want to say this out loud I don't see her as a villain I see her as representing all of us at the beginning of our story She's not so much evil as in that she wants bad for other people. She wants pain for others. But she just, she's all about her own needs and her own desires. She's making choices just based on, I deserve this, this is what I need. This. And, and that's not innately wrong. It's just it's immature. It's, and God expects us to grow beyond that point. He gives us relationships that shape us and grow us out of that very immature way of looking at life. Orpah, kind of, Orpah and all of us actually look at life a little bit like Winnie the Pooh. Any Winnie the Pooh fans? Yeah, I'm quoting Winnie the Pooh. Think about this for a second. This, is, uh, this sounds like a beautiful thing to say. Such a sweet, kind thing to say. He says to Christopher Robin, if you live to be 100, I hope I live to be 100 minus one day so I never have to live life without you. Aww. Yeah, here's what he's saying. I hope we both live a century, except I hope I die before I experience the pain of losing you. It's okay if I die and you experience the pain of losing me. And I'm not saying that Pooh is a sick, terrible person. He's just so focused on his own needs and his own desires that he doesn't even see how ironic and cruel and mean that is. And that's all of us at the beginning of our story. That's why we need to be transformed by God himself, by choices we make, and by the relationships God gives us. Here's the first big action point that I believe God wants for all of us this morning. Let's say it together out loud if you would. Focus on others' needs, not your own. One more time. Focus on others' needs, not your own. 
To help people do this, Jesus was constantly creating these moments in time, these scenes. He was, it wasn't just, he wasn't faking anything. He was just very intentional about making things happen. One of the most beautiful scenes, and I know almost everyone in here has heard this, so I'm not going to tell the whole story, but when he washed his disciples' feet. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Okay, so he creates this scene and it's awkward and it's weird and they're like, what are you doing? But then he says, listen, if I, your Lord and Master, your teacher, the one you follow, am willing to wash your feet, you should be able to wash each other's feet too. Literally and metaphorically. And then he wraps it up, he makes it really clear with this. Listen carefully to these words. He says, so now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is a a, a huge idea that we can't miss in Scripture. It's a good thing. It's an intentional thing. It's something that I'm very unapologetic about, that our church and many, many other churches, we focus more on trying to tell each other all the time, we've got to have an outward focus. We talk about missions. We talk about we need to serve the community. We need to obey the Great Commission. One way or another, we've got to be reaching more people. We've got to bring more people to Jesus. We've got to make disciples. This is the heart of it. If, that's not, if we don't collectively have an outward focus, we are missing something. But this morning, I'd like to remind you of something that's equally clear and pervasive in Scripture, and that's this. Your family and your church family is where you learn how to reach out to everyone else. And there is so many scriptures that say that we actually owe each other stronger commitment, stronger love, even better grace, even better forgiveness, even more power to change each other's lives than we owe to the world around us. That's not our whole focus. We're not just here for each other, but we're here for each other to become better people that get that job done. Mother Teresa famously spent her whole life single, never had a family of her own, spent her life serving lepers in a country that did not start out being her home country. But she said this, what can you do to promote world peace? Go home and love your family. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said they should use their freedom to serve one another in love. And he said that we have an even greater responsibility to those who are in the family of faith. By the way, just to keep things down, here's how we do things here. I always give you way more scriptures in this handout than I could ever say out loud from here. And I hope that you go back and read them. I just referred to about three or four just like that. I hope you go back and read them actually out of God's own word later. But here's one we'll put on the screen. This is from Philippians chapter 2. Paul again speaking. Let's read this one together. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And that brings us to the second big action point that I believe all of us in every relationship that we have, have to take. Let's say that out loud as well. Love relentlessly in word, deed, and prayer. This is really hard. I actually talked to uh, 
everybody on our ministerial staff, Ray Pate and a few other people getting ready for this series about healthy relationships, trying to get some stuff, give each one of them a chance to say, hey, you know what? If you could say just anything on this subject to everybody, the people that, that the parents of the kids you serve, the, 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 the students themselves, what, what would you say? Ray Pate had something really interesting that stuck with me. Uh, he said that when people push us away, in those moments when they say, I don't want your love, I don't need your love, I don't want this relationship anymore, those are almost always the times they need us the most. And I think that's true. It's also really, really painful, and it's really, really easy for us to do like Orpah and just walk away in those moments. Well, here's one of these moments where not just Jesus created these cool moments, these dramatic moments. Uh, families and people have done this for forever. Naomi does this in Ruth chapter, two, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. Actually, that's Ruth's reply. It's still chapter 1. Here's what Ruth, Naomi does. Instead, she's got her two... really have trouble talking this morning. Let me try this again. She's ha- got her two daughters-in-law, and they're following her, and she gets partway back to Bethlehem. And then she stops and has this dramatic moment. I'm not sure why she didn't just say, hey, I'm going back to Bethlehem, you guys stay here. She lets them get halfway down the road, okay? But they get there and she goes, listen, I used to be all sweet and kind and everything. I'm just bitter and angry these days. And when I get home, there's food in Bethlehem, but I don't have any food. I don't have anything to offer you. I have no sunshine. I have nothing. The best thing for you guys is you need to just go home and start your life over again back in Moab. It's a very selfless thing to do. It's a very kind thing to do, even in her anger, even in her bitterness. She's really trying to put them first. And she's created this really dramatic moment. And that's the moment where Orpah, again, I'm not judging her, but she takes her up on the offer as she heads back. But then Ruth turns that whole moment around, and this is still quoted in weddings and all kinds of places where we talk about what a real, healthy, life-shaping relationship looks like. Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more cool moment shaped both of their lives every moment of the rest of their lives from that moment pretty cool thing Jesus all the time was creating these like I said one of them was when a woman came and wanted to be healed but because of the nature of her her affliction she didn't really want it to be public so she tried to be healed anonymously she just wanted to just touch him and let it go. Jesus makes a big deal. Just calls her out. So, but, but then instead of embarrassing her, how dare you try to be anonymous? He actually makes her a hero to everyone. He goes, daughter, your faith has made you well. By the way, it, whenever you see in scripture someone calling someone daughter, that's actually a, a term of respect. It's not disrespect. That comes in the story in just a second. Later though, Jesus' own mother and brothers, they came to shut him down as he was teaching. At this moment, it's one of the few moments in Mary's life, Mary the mother of Jesus, where she didn't get it right, where she wasn't a good example. But at this moment in time, her and some of Jesus' brothers, they come to shut him down and everybody's like, hey, your family's outside. Jesus makes another one of those moments. He says, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? 
And when he has everybody right in the palm of his hand, he says, those, my mother and my brothers are all those who hear God's word and obey it. I'm pretty sure that stuck with Mary. Pretty sure that stuck with James. James is the one who wrote James, by the way, and in that book he wrote this. As the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. In a few weeks we're going to talk about that relationship exclusively on a Sunday morning. But I, I just want you to see one more time, just as we read these next couple verses again, all these relationships that God sets up, he's expecting us to be shaped by them. He's expecting us to change. He's expecting things to look different for those of us who are in a relationship that he created than they look for anyone else. John wrote this. If anyone claims I am living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. He also wrote this. Love means doing what God commanded us. And he has commanded us to love one another just as you heard from the beginning. And that's the beginning, beginning. That's when God created us in his image and made us to crave relationship just like he does. I know that I'm not the only really busy person. I'm really busy, but I'm not the only one. How many of you guys are crazy busy? A lot of you. A lot more than know what a fixed mindset and all that works, so good job. But seriously, this is a scary thing, and this is the third big thing that I'm asking you to do today. I believe God is asking all of us, me included, to do this. Say it out loud with me. Make time to communicate. We have got to create these moments, these moments when we can actually really connect with God, really connect with other people. We've got to take the time. We've got to make the time. We've got to be intentional about it. If we just kind of waltz through life hoping that at some point we'll get to say something important to somebody that's important to us, it's never going to happen. We've got to make those things happen. We've got to create these moments and spaces and really talk and really listen. We need to do this often. It needs to be a top priority. That way, when there's something really important to talk about, it feels normal. That we can actually really, really just go there. We should never just talk about things when there's something huge that we need to talk out. I wish I had time to tell the entire story of Ruth. I hope you go back and read it. It's just four chapters. Even if you've heard it many times in your life, it's worth rereading again. But in chapter 2, you see several of these moments. You see Boaz talking to Ruth, taking time out of his busy workday to go and talk to her and engage with her and find out who she is and compliment her on what he's... I've heard what you're doing for Naomi. What a great thing. You see Naomi and Ruth having these really deep conversations about, wow, who is this guy? And man, God is really blessing us and all that. And she's going, should I trust this guy? And Ruth's saying, yeah, you'll be safe with him. As you read it, I keep in mind again, Boaz walks up to her and the first thing he says is, my daughter. And I, I, again, there's, there is kind of a love story in here, but I don't want you to think that Boaz is going up to her and doing some old Hebrew version of, hey baby, hey baby girl, who's your daddy? That's not what this is. It's a term of respect. And it's a term of saying, hey, I'd like to take some responsibility to help you out. And I realize that I'm quite a bit older than you. There's several things going on, but it's not 
the other time. The stuff that God tells us to do in relationships sometimes sound really like these flowery things. There's several uh, passages specifically from Proverbs in the handout that you've got in your bulletin this morning. If you're listening online, it's going to be attached. Um, but here's the thing. They're very practical. It sounds like just these really um, flowery ideas and yeah, wouldn't that be cool if life was like that? But that's not how God's word works. That's not how the relationships he creates work. He actually wants us to do it. I've summarized them just for time, but I urge you to go back and read all of those in there, especially the big passages from Proverbs. But here's some things that God always wants us to do when we talk to each other, when we make time to communicate. Be gentle. That means be careful. Realize that we're all strong enough to either really encourage and build someone up or really tear them down and break them. Our words are powerful. Be careful with them. Be intentional with them. Be strategic with them. Use your words carefully. Be humble with each other. Don't wander in, arms swinging, expecting that you're always right about everything. Even if you're right about almost everything, you're never right about everything. Be humble. Be fair. Speak up for those, even your siblings that are getting in trouble. Anybody young enough to still be doing that at home? Speak up for those who are being unjustly treated in any way. And here's the biggest thing. Expect everyone in the situation to get better. Expect everyone in the whole relationship to get better. Paul casts this vision for the church in Ephesians 4. He says, someday when we get all this stuff right, we will no longer be immature. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. Which leads us to the fourth big idea that I really believe is something God wants us to actually do. Do in our relationships, our closest relationships, and in our church family as well. Let's say these four words together. Play your part well. One more time. Play your part well. In chapters 3 and 4, as the story in Ruth kind of wraps up, you see Boaz and Naomi kind of really coaching Ruth through some really weird cultural waters. There's stuff that seemed really foreign to her at the time. They seem kind of foreign to us. The whole like going in the middle of the night, laying down his feet and the blanket thing, that's just kind of creepy, I think. But it wasn't to them. It was a very wholesome and very, very um, just intentional thing that they were doing. There wasn't anything wrong. It just seems weird to us from our cultural perspective. But what you see is all three of them over and over consistently trying to do the right thing. All three of them are trying their best to do not, the best thing for not only themselves, but for each other. They're trying to do the right thing before God. They're trying to do the legal thing, the appropriate thing. They're, they're not just considering their own selves. They're thinking of each other. But they also realize that each one of them has unique gifts, unique abilities, and a new, unique role to play in this situation. And so each one of them plays that part well. And that's part of why this story has such a happy ending. When I talk to Billy and Emmeline, they both intersected in their advice. I'd like to take just a quick moment talking to some very specific people in our group, in our family here this morning. Those are anyone who's a parent. You ready? Parents, here's what you need to do. 
You need to be parents. You need to play your role as parent well. If you want to be their friend someday, you've got to be their parent now. That is who God has called you to do. Your job is not to take your three-year-old, four-year-old, 10-year-old, 17-year-old's opinion on the same level as God's or your own. Don't fool them into thinking that life works that way. Your job is to train them, to mentor them, to model what it looks like to follow God for them, to discipline to them, to talk to them, to create these moments and spaces where you can communicate with them, where you can make this happen. And over time, as they grow up and as they become adults who follow Jesus, little by little, as you go through this and you become better people and they see you becoming better people, you've at least got a chance of someday when you're all adults, you actually can be Christian friends. Don't waste your opportunity to train them, to mentor them, to disciple them as parents right now. One of the most exciting things that we've, our team has been experiencing recently is a bunch of people in just telling us stories, just things we've overheard. Uh, some people post about it on Facebook. We're hearing more and more families that are talking to each other and saying, hey, what are you learning at church? What did you learn at church today? And, and, and they're, the kids are sharing and the parents are sharing. They're going, so what are we going to do about that? You have no idea how exciting that is, because that's the dream. That's what we're trying to do. And you as parents have more responsibility than anybody else in that. But like all of this, this iron sharpens iron. This isn't just for men. It's not just for parents. It's not just for any, it's for all of the relationships that God creates. So let's go back there and let's wrap up together. Jesus, Paul, Peter, and many others make it so clear that we must love our families. We must love the family of believers well. Again, there's a bunch of scriptures in the bulletin insert. You can also get those at the Welcome Center, by the way, if you, if you need one. But here's the thing. There's so many times where Jesus called people out where they're doing something that seemed religious. And he goes, you know what? You're forgetting to take care of your family. That is, you're, you're missing the whole point. There's, there's several places in the epistles where the apostles do the same thing. If you're not taking care of your mom or your grandma, you are missing the whole point. This is something that's very consistent in Scripture. I'd like to read you this poem that I found. Ella Wheeler Wilcox says this. There's one sad truth in life I've found. While journeying east and west, the only folks we really wound are those we love the best. We flatter those we scarcely know. We please the fleeting guest and deal full many a thoughtless blow to those who love us best. That's tragic. That needs to stop. Whether you are the kid or the parent or the grandparent or whatever role you play, the sibling, the cousin, whatever role it is inside this, this church family, whatever role you play, do not take advantage of the grace and the love and the safety of a family relationship by tearing up and beating down the people that you love the most, that love you most. Don't do that. Thank you, praise God. Instead, realize that just like we don't send soldiers into war, just go, hey, here's a gun, good luck. 
We train them and they train together. Have you noticed that? You don't get a band together and just go, here's a trumpet, here's a drum, what do you want to play? You're a trombone, go for it. Here we go. Good luck. We have training grounds, we have band camps, we have football tryouts and all this kind of crazy stuff. We, we're very intentional about this stuff because we know that's how it works. Guess how God trains us to reach the world? In our families. Guess where we learn how to work out conflicts in a healthy, godly way? In our families. Guess how we do that even in a more extended way? Now we're starting to grow up, we're getting a little better. Our Christian families. This is where we learn how to do it right. This is where we make the mistakes in a safe environment. This is where we learn. We're constantly being reminded of the, the goals and the values. This is where it needs to happen. Don't forget that as much as God loves us, as much as he's willing to give us grace, as much as he's willing to forgive us, there are some things he straight up hates. In Proverbs it says this, there are six things the Lord hates, no seven things he detests, not just these seven, but on this list. Haughty eyes. You know what that looks like in a family? <sighs> a lying tongue. Hands that kill the innocent. Hopefully that's not in your family, but I'm just saying he hates that too. A heart that plots evil. That means pain for other people. Feet that race to do wrong. A false witness who pours out lies. And listen, a person who sows discord in your family. You should know this. You should know that if you are stirring up trouble in your family or stirring up trouble in this family, God hates that. And it's not okay. Proverbs 15, 27 says, Greed brings grief to the whole family. Those who hate bribes will live. On the surface, that sounds like good advice on like a political level, and it is, except it's talking about the family. Do you see that? Greed is just where we care. So, every only people we really care about is ourselves, our own needs, our own desires. And the only way anybody can get anything out of us is to negotiate. Well, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. That's a bribe. All that does is bring grief to your family. We have got to, as Christians, in our family and in our church family, constantly be trying to do these things we're looking at this morning. Again, in Ephesians 4, Paul's vision for the church is not just defense. It's not just saying stay away from these. He's very intentional about it. I'd like us to read this passage together as we start to wrap up this morning. Ephesians 4, 15-16. Let's read it out loud. And let's say this as a statement, Okay? That's why that's the way it's designed. This is us saying, this is us. Ready? Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So how are you going to do this? There's spaces on your handout. There's space in your brain. I hope you do this. But how are you going to focus on others' needs more this week? How are you going to love more relentlessly? In word, in deed, in prayer. Sometimes especially when they're rejecting you. How are you going to make time, create time to communicate well? How are you going to play your part well? 
And I realize that some of you may not actually even be part of the family of God this morning. Look around, there's a few faces I don't recognize. But the, the invitation is to every single person. God accepts you wherever you are at the beginning and then expects you to change little by little to become more and more like him. You don't have to get cleaned up to take a bath and join the family of God. You can just come and join it today. And if something's, you need prayer, if you've got any other kind of a decision you'd like to make this morning, we invite you to make that as, as the band plays and as we sing. Let's all make this commitment to God. But whatever relationship you're part of, this church family, your own family, I hope you do these things. I hope you do this because it will literally change our lives.